On this episode of Video Culture, we're talking Thieves with Thief of Hearts and Michael Mann's Thief. Did you rewind it? I don't know. In a time where everyone has a podcast in a place where everyone has an opinion two heroes matthew and ryan against all odds are here to save your movie viewing experience from total disaster your trip through the video aisles of yesteryear begins now there will be chills there will be thrills, and there's a good chance that Ryan will have a coffee spill. They'll discuss the quality, cultural significance, and more detail, frankly, than you bargained for. Here's your host, Ryan Acree and Matthew Essery. And welcome to another episode of Video Culture. I'm your host, Ryan Acree. And I'm Matthew Essery. And today we're talking people stealing stuff. We're talking thieves. Stealing stealing jewelry, stealing money, stealing hearts. Stealing hearts. Thief of, yeah, that's right. Um <laughs> playing with the thief of hearts, right? Like yeah. that song. Um anyway, uh that was the <laughs> but anyway. Um, I, I, I really should prep you when I do stuff like that. I'm sorry I just kinda <laughs> throw those things at you. <laughs> No, I, I love it. It, it. it throws me off, and then I got to figure out my way around I, where I, we're I, going. I, I just love making you laugh, man. It's one of my oh. favorite things in the world. Yeah, no, it's it's great, but uh, I, I I forget for a moment what what are we doing? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, so two great movies. So we, I I had the idea. I just want to say before we even get started that I had the idea of doing um, at least Thief of Hearts because Harold uh, Falterwire. I absolutely love. I wrote an article about him, um, and uh, that's on the website on the the Video Culture website. And this was one of the movies that I mentioned that he did the entire score for, wrote some songs for it. You know that, and uh, I mean, because hey, I've lost movies. you completely. Done, you know, uh, Beverly Hills Cop and and Fletch and Top Gun, and so I. But Thief of Hearts was one of those movies that was there, and the soundtrack. Uh, is an amazing soundtrack, and, and matter of fact, if you if you find it on CD, you still have to like even used prices still go for like twelve dollars because they, it's out of print. Um, so a lot of people, you know, love this uh, like electronica soundtrack. So I was really interested about it. I saw it and I thought, hey, this is interesting enough to talk about on on our show on video culture. And then you suggested to pair it with um, another movie that has. Also, kind of electronica soundtrack by Tangerine Dream, um, but Michael Mann's Thief, and I thought those were. I mean, I'd never seen um, either of these two movies really uh, before, like this past two weeks. I mean, I know you've seen Thief and absolutely love it. Oh yeah, I, I love Thief. Thief is probably I put it in. I put it in my you know list of like movies that define who Matt is as, as a guy who loves movies. Wow. Um, Okay. It's just because I mean, it's not. I mean, it's uh, not a movie I saw really young or anything like that. It's just that to me, that's a, a Rosetta Stone for so many directors, so many films and actors 
that I've grown to love. Like I've got a feeling that there's a whole generation of guys and girls who grew up watching Thief, and that influenced the movies they went on to make, and those movies were the ones that I first discovered. So when I saw Thief, probably for the first time 10 years ago, I was like, oh my god, this is where so much of this stuff started from. Yeah. You know, this is I, kind of this is kind of the prototype. Yeah, I I I would have to agree because I see so many other movies that were influenced because Thief was done in 81 and you know so many movies after that have been, you know, sort of borrowed from or or whatever. So you know that it was you know very influential um kind of uh movie, but I it's one of those movies that you don't see, you know, like on uh, repeat. I mean, it, it, they didn't make like a PG version for USA or for, you know, TBS or TNT or, or WG, you know, like you don't see it repeat and replayed um, all the time um, because it is kind of this uh, neo-noir, neo, whatever you want to call it, this noir, like very dark, uh, you know, kind of thing. Unlike a rated R movie like, you know, Beverly Hills Cop, which still has a lot of, you know, humor behind it all, right? So anyway, but first we'll talk about Thief of Hearts, and yeah, which is which is which is an incredibly rare movie. Yes. It really is. Yeah, and I, and like I said before in the intro, I love you know the soundtrack to Harold Faltermeyer, and and so this was done in '84. It was written and directed by a guy named Douglas Day Stewart. This was his directorial debut, but he's written. Uh, you know, Bonanza, The Boy in the Plastic Bubble, The Blue Lagoon, and he just came off this really big movie called An Officer and a Gentleman. And he kind of saw this opportunity for, you know, like a love story type of type of thing, right? Um, and the only other movie that he's ever directed is a movie called, in 1989, called Listen to Me. So he's <laughs> only directed two movies, and this is one of them. So that should tell you. But the other thing that I want to say that's that's a weird connection between these two movies, they were both produced by Jerry Bruckheimer and Don Simpson, right? Yeah, which, well, I, I, I don't think Don Simpson produced Thief of Hearts, but they, they were both definitely no, produced he, by Jerry Bruckheimer. No, he is listed as a credits. Oh, okay. I did not realize that. Yes. Well, I stand corrected. But yeah, so that's that's odd that Bruckheimer would be involved with both of them. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, we didn't even make that connection until you made the suggestion of, of doing uh, Thief, right? Um, yeah, it's so often we talk when, when we kind of prep the show, and do pre-production meetings. We we can we kind of just throw out the movies that we think have vibes or similar vibes, or maybe they share an actor. But then when we get into the nitty gritty of it, we discover all these connections that we didn't even think about or know about or consider. Right. And we've we've talked. Uh, I mean, about Beverly Hills Cop. We've talked about Brockheimer. Um, when we when we talked about those uh, movies, but. Uh, those two guys, I mean, and, and Jerry Bruckheimer himself, I mean, he's been involved with Flashdance, The Harder They Come, Beverly Hills Cop, Top Gun, Days of Thunder, The Ref, Crimson Tide, The Rock, Con Air, Bad Boys, Armageddon, Enemy, Enemy of the State, Gone in 60 Seconds, Black Hawk Down, Pearl Harbor, National Treasure, uh, what was the other one? Uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, so, I mean... Big budget yeah. films, big. I mean, he's big budget films. I mean, he's a super. He's 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 one of the rare super producers in Hollywood, right? I mean, like, I mean, he's one of the, he's one of the guys in Hollywood. Yeah, you know? and <laughs> go ahead. I was gonna say, if you never, if you never, if you never produced another movie ever, 
he would still be considered one of the greatest movie producers of all time, simply because of the movies you just listed. Mm-hmm. That's I an mean, incredible list many of more. like bombastic action movies. And there's many more other movies. I mean, th- those are just that's just a, a small, you know, the, probably the majority list. But uh, there's other things that he's been involved with as well. And in him and Don Simpson together. Uh, they called Jerry Bruckheimer Mr. Outside because all of the things that he knew about like making movies and things like that and, and just getting things done. And then they called uh, Don Simpson Mr. Inside for all the like film connections that he had. And, you know, there was an incredible trust and relationship that they had with Paramount and making like these big, you know, budget movies. Um, but this was like really they're coming off of uh, the success of Flashdance, and they're like picking up, okay, we'll pick up this other film that was done by this officer and a gentleman, and which also, and then they pick up the star from Scarface, like the other guy from Scarface. Yeah, uh, we should clarify. Stephen Bauer. Yeah, 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 we say, but everyone knows when you say the other guy from Scarface, there's really only one guy you can be talking about, and that's that's Stephen Bauer, that's Stephen who, Bauer. Played Ton- who played Tony Montana's friend in Scarface, who, uh, Probably should have had a better career than he did, but, you know, his is a story of hubris and bad decisions where he really is still, even now, after being in, in, in movies for, you know, decades, is still mostly the other guy from Scarface. Yeah, because that, that was like the biggest movie that he's done or, or where audiences would know him from. Yeah, still. Yeah, and even when I remember seeing Scarface, and I was like, where is this guy? Why hasn't he done more and that also led into like, you know, this this also inquisitive thing that I had about watching. Excuse me, watching Thief of Hearts, and and you and I had never seen this movie uh, at all. This is very rare to have both of us not see a movie. Well, maybe not for me, but for you, I know. Well, well, we 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 try to occasionally find something that that is new to both of us because that's always fun to see how we we, we both react to these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let me, and that was definitely this one. Yeah. So let me explain the plot. Uh, I mean, it's named Thief of Hearts, so you can kind of get some ideas. But a woman trapped in a boring marriage begins an affair with a handsome man who seems to be able to read her mind. She doesn't know that he has broken into her house and read her diaries where she has recorded her deepest thoughts and fantasies. Basically. Oh, my. Yeah. Oh, my. (laughs) Yeah. Basically, he just like he's a he's a cat burglar breaks in. You know, find sick. He's a sexy cat burglar, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, <laughs> yes, he is a young, strapping young man. Uh, that's breaking, yeah, breaks into his house, and he, yeah. he just gets intrigued by these, uh, these diaries, these uh, fantasies that uh, this woman has written because uh, you found out later that like the the husband and the wife of who he you know who he robbed. Basically, the the um, uh, the husband's being very busy, and she's feeling neglected, and then coming up with her own sort of like fantasies that she's writing in yeah. her journal. And, and and the wife is played by Barbara Williams. Um, what are some of the other movies that Barbara Williams has been in, Ryan? Do, she's, you, do you have a list there? She's been in White House Down, and also Inventing the Abbots. Uh, she's a Canadian actress. She's not, not really done much. Um, but you know, she does about probably like one film a year, does a little bit of TV work, but I didn't really recognize her from anything other than, you know, uh, that you, you know, that you go, Oh, that's that person or whatever. Yeah. Just just little odds and ends here. My favorite credit that I discovered from her was that she wrote and directed some (laughs) ducktails. 
which oh, I thought was very <laughs> random. Yeah. yeah. But, but uh, yeah. But she, but but she's good in this, and she she's very striking. She's she's a very pretty lady. Yes. And she's she's good in the film. Her husband is somebody that we've talked about recently. Uh, yeah. John Getz. Uh, yeah. Who we just talked about? I think last episode with Minute Work, he was the heavy in Minute Work. Yeah, he's he's like the weird, odd, you know, sleazeball guy. He always plays kind of a sleazy kind of character. He's been in Minute Work. Uh, he was the guy in the Fly too. We talked about the Fly. Yeah. Uh, because he played like the other, like the head of the, uh, or the, not the head of, but like he played the executive, the magazine executive, uh, mm-hmm. and then also the sleazy guy and Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. Uh, he's also most recently in the social network. So yeah, he does, uh, he does kind of get around too, but yeah, he kind of plays the, the husband, uh, this kind of sleazeball husband who's, you know, spending more time trying to finish his children's book than he is, you know, paying attention to him and his wife's marriage. Right. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And that, that gives, uh, you know, Stephen Bauer a chance to kind of swoop in and, uh, and turn this and basically what this movie, and I'll just say what Thief of Hearts is. Is basically a Harlequin romance novel as a film, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. I mean, it's a, uh, it's got it's got a, it's got a few little action beats in it, but for the most part, it's kind of like the novels that your mom would read that she never really talked about what they were about, but they always had like guys with like bare chests, like <laughs> clinching a woman by the waist, really close, and the wind would be blowing their hair. Yeah, that's that's kind of what Thief of Hearts is. Yeah, kind of like so, uh, kind of like when they go out on the boat and he's like, you know, rubbing himself down with uh, yeah. suntan lotion, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I, and I'll be honest with you, and I'll just I'll I'll start, I'll start the discussion here. That's actually what I liked about it, because to me, movies have gotten more puritan the past twenty or so years. So you don't see a lot of sex in film anymore. You know, it's uh-huh. gotten movies have become so mass entertainment. Right. That movies, and I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna be, I'm saying that's a little funny, but I've said this before. Movies aren't that horny anymore, ah. And I, and I appreciate that this movie had had the had the had the good sense to be a little bit horny, yeah. And to, to kind of focus on kind of the eroticism. Well, yeah. Um, well, I mean, to play on this nature of like our bodies, like want sex, right? Like, yeah. You know, yeah. not just ignoring that part of it. Like that was like part of the that was part of the thing, right? Yeah, because because we said blockbusters, and you think about this being like a a, a Bruckheimer Simpson film, have gotten very sexless in in recent years. So it's nice to go back and see other movies that 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 this has that kind of that realizes that sexuality is part of human nature. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's almost an erotic thr- it's almost like an erotic thriller in a way, you know, yeah. which, were, which were very common in the eighties and in early nineties. Right. Um, but, it, but, uh, it, but it's not like the two had like a really like torrid affair, right? Like she no. was really, she spent like one night with him, but she was still very apprehensive about the whole thing from start to finish. Right. It was still, yeah. Yeah. And I, th- I think that that's going to go into what we think. I think that it's going to sound funny because you how I just praised it. But one of my problems with it is it didn't quite go sleazy enough yeah. because the whole premise is kind of sleazy. Yeah. And it's kind of trashy. Right, and I think it could have pushed that even further. It could have been even more, could have been even more like neon soaked and a little more like violent and a little more dirty. Yeah. You know, it could have been a little more, more like so, so more proper, sexy, so proper esque or whatever. Yeah. Pushing the line, just, been more, yeah, yeah, yeah just just to make it a little more trashy. Yeah. Uh, and like I said, that's 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 my main complaint with it. My other complaint with it is um, John Getz. I feel is miscast. Because he's so schlubby and so unappealing, mm-hmm. 
Um, that you don't really get why she, why Barbara Williams is with him to begin with. Yeah. Like, I mean, but you totally get why, like, Sexy Cat Burkle or Stephen Bauer could could swoop in and, like, steal her away. But, because, but John gets his, like, children's author character is so pathetic that, you know, like, I totally, I mean, I don't get that he would ever, you know, become anyone she would ever be interested in again. Mm-hmm. Like, I, 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 I didn't buy them being together. No. I mean, there's only, what, six people in this whole movie? Uh, yeah. You know, Stephen Bauer, Barbara Williams, John Getz. Uh, David Caruso plays, uh, like Stephen Bowers, <laughs> like, uh, buddy in crime. Uh, yeah. yeah. Punk rock David Caruso. We gotta, rock. David. <laughs> we gotta talk about David Caruso for a minute. He's like, he's got like weird, like punk spiky hair. Yeah. He's wearing like a leather jacket. He's all coked up and he's got a butterfly knife for no reason. It's yeah. like, I wish, I wish the movie was more like that. Like, I mean, to me, like David Caruso is like he's such a slime ball in the movie. I wish there was more of that kind of sleaze in it. Right. Like, like he's kind of like because he's kind of he's having fun with it, and uh, the movie doesn't quite measure up to the amount of fun he's having with it. Mm-mm. No, I mean he's really good. He almost Dean steals like every scene that he's in. He was just supposed to be kind of a bystander character, but uh, he's he's so good. You know when he's uh, you first see him, um, you know in the scene where. Uh, Scott Miller, uh, Scott, the the main character is like boxing, and he's like, you know, making all these phone calls and all this stuff. I mean, it's like that's that's what I wanted, really wanted to see. And you kind of see him at the beginning, and then like you kind of almost forget about him that he's even there or he's he's in yeah. a part of everything. And then he kind of shows up at the end. Um, but yeah, I wish there was more uh, of that sort of interaction and stuff like that that they had together. Um, Christine Ebersole plays like the. I guess uh, she plays like the partner of the of the she, woman. She plays she's, like a business she's partner. The, she's the not as pretty best friend that all these movies have, yeah, right, you know. Yeah. And there was not they enough. Slightly, her, there was not enough for her either. Like who, where she even came from, or who she, who she's about, or whatever. Like there was just yeah. There was not not enough depth to that character at all. Yeah. The same with yeah. George Went. George Went is also in this movie. Yeah. He's the other guy. George Went. He, yeah, George Wentz in here basically playing Norm. Yeah, you know? play, basically playing Norm. He's like a, you know, just an average Joe. He plays the, the the publisher, you know. Um, but yeah, he does. He only says like one thing significant in like the whole, you know, movie. Really, you know. Yeah, I kind of felt bad for him because because at once one of his exposition scenes where he's got to talk and walk with uh with John Getz's character is they make poor George Wentz, who's not he's not a very in shape man, walk up a hill. Yeah, and they shoot the entire thing in one shot, and you can tell that he's struggling. And I just felt bad for him. Yeah, like, like, don't, do like, oh, don't, don't do don't that. Don't do that to Norm. Norm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just like when he was in uh, Gung Ho. You know, he had to do all that the factory work and stuff like that. Yeah, you know. But yeah, George Wynn. Everybody knows uh, George from Cheers and, and Fletch and and Gung Ho. Um, but yeah, and David Caruso was in like NYPD Blue and CSI and Hudson Hawk. But yeah, that sort of like. CSI David Caruso where he's like very intense and very like it was like so it was kind of the same but not really it was more like you know coked out like yeah yeah you know yeah like he's 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 like an old he's like an old man's interpretation of what of what like a punk thief would be like like he's like literally like this this little like sleazy like spiky haired weirdo like he's all like he's all like jittery and like swears a lot and you know just it's he's he's ridiculous but he's having fun mm-hmm. oh yeah but i mean if you've ever seen anybody's coked out they are 
you know, kind of like that, you know, where it's like, I always, I always like that in movies where you see people do coke in movies and they're just like all chill. Like they just smoked a joint. And you're like, no, yeah, that's not, not how, how it happens. happens. No, I, I don't want to say too much, but I, yeah, I know for experience, that's not how people behave yeah. when, when, when that's what they're doing. Uh, oh. So uh, it's it's more but, it's more kind of how David Caruso you know acted or whatever because yeah. I had but, but, a, a, a friend that was um, unfortunately uh, that was like that but we'll just we'll just I, I, I think I think a lot of guys our age had friends who were like that that, that was definitely a drug of choice when you and I were young men uh, um, yeah but anyway yeah right, moving on yeah uh, we'll, we'll move on from there it's, before, before we get ourselves in trouble uh, so but the 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 film itself though like all in all. I mean, it's very, it's very disjointed. It's very sort of like, it's, it's still it's fun for what it is. It is. Yeah, I, and I will say, I think, I mean, I, I told you before, like I, my mom, like even watched, cause I was telling her about it. And so she watched it and she was like, Oh, I liked it. Um, my, my like which makes, 70, which makes, which makes, three year old, which makes my comparison even funnier. Yeah. If you think about it, that's why I laughed when you told me your mom liked it originally in our little pre-production meeting. Yeah. Um, but I'll tell you one thing that, what makes well, the movie, I tell what you, the movie to get. well, I'll tell you what she liked about it before we move on. She okay. liked the fact that, uh, like the surprise ending, um, this the, like the where, and, and, nice, and where yeah. you, where you don't really know, uh, kind of where it's going to go. And then it kind of like lands in like a very, you know, uh, a very sort of great place where you can kind of feel good about, you know, everything, even though that there was like yeah. a bad experience between, you know, all of it that, um, so yeah. Yeah. Because the movie is so interesting, I don't feel like we should talk in detail about the ending. I mean, yeah. but I still think if, if, if you, if you're curious about this movie, if you like those kind of erotic thrillers from the nineties, I think it's worth seeing. It is now a little bit easier to find. It's popped up on Amazon Prime where you can rent it pretty cheaply. Yeah. So and and it's short. So I will say that if if you're curious, watch it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's bare. It's a little over ninety minutes. Yeah. Um, Which you know, as a guy who watches a lot of movies, whenever I see ninety minutes, I always get happy. Yeah. Um, Like two thumbs up. (laughs) Like (laughs) I won't spend my entire day watching this. Yay. Yeah. But uh, but uh, it it ends it it ends in a very again a very romance novelty kind of way. But but I liked it because you know because sometimes you just want like you want like uh, it's an it's an unexpected ending but it's not a sad ending mm-hmm. and so I thought the ending was was fairly clever it's silly but it le- it leaves you kind of in a good place where you could, where you're like hey yeah I had fun watching that yeah a strong ending helps a lot for sure oh yeah oh yeah for sure and it 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 kind of doesn't make excuse for how kind of weird and disjointed some of the other you know scenes are but um. You just kind of get it and and uh, uh, make sure we get and and like I said, the soundtrack too. The soundtrack will carry well, you along. You know what I mean. Well, that's what I was gonna say. The re- the reason the movie actually holds together, the 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 spackle and glue that holds this movie together, is the really great '80s pop music, the '80s synth pop of Faltermeyer. The the music in this is really good. Like the shocking, right? But it's uh, Faltermeyer. The stuff in here is good. I mean, it's full of just eighty catchy synth pop tunes. Oh yeah, like like when the movie was over, I let the credits play so I could enjoy the music a little bit longer. Oh yeah, like the soundtrack in this is, is as the kids say, a, a banger. You know. Oh, I I listen to the soundtrack just by itself. I mean, it's yeah. it's uh, it's actually really good. Um, so, I mean, some of Faltermeyer's like uh, better work, and like I said, it was his first movie uh, that he did. But we'll talk about more about that in the notes. Um, so yeah, well, I mean, I'm glad I liked it. Is there any? Uh, scenes that you would like savor 
and like uh, rewind again, you know. Well, well, yeah. Uh, not all of them I want to admit to, but uh, <laughs> I will. Say, <laughs> I, I, I will say that I really like the beginning, uh, where where they show like Stephen Bauer driving at night because I, you know, of course, it reminds me of, of a lot of the cinematography and a lot of the lighting of of Thief, the Michael Mann movie. Oh, yeah. Like he's driving at night and he just gets kind of lit by the road. Uh, to me, like I, I dig those kind of vibes. Like that's the kind of vibe I, I love in movies. A kind of solitary figure traveling through the night. Mm-hmm. You know that kind of the kind of lonely, kind of lorned, you know, quality to it. Yeah. Like I really like that little opening sequence. I see. What about you? Um, I don't know. I don't know if there's any scenes that I would like. Saber, I guess you would say. Uh, not him, not him, not, not him rubbing like <laughs> suntan oil on himself sensually. I will say, I mean, I will say though, the the whole um, kind of boat scene by itself, not just that particular part, but the whole, the whole premise of, you know, going sailing and how just um forward that you know he was and this like hey you know goes sailing with me you know go out on the boat or whatever um and how just uh unassuming that was i mean that just i, I always love you know um scenes on the water i think it gave yeah, a little the- more depth i think to uh you know scott's character i guess you would say mm-hmm. um and i mean i know it had a little bit to do with the plot but i think that you know that gave you a, a little bit more hindsight and say, okay, these aren't just like burglars hanging out in a warehouse all day. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean that, that's kind of, that's kind of the point of, of both these films. These are, kind of are about are about you know hard people who are basically, I mean, when I say hard, I mean like emotionally hard. No pun intended. Right. Um, but they're but both, like um, but they're both about thieves who, like trying who to get more. A, yeah who want more who want to get out of the break the cycle of this you know stuff like they've got kind of caught yeah. up. Um, you know, with all this activity, and they 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 just want some normalcy. Yeah, and I, I think it's. I mean, we we could we could we have our moment where we talk about what things we would fast forward through. I mean, I mean, there's a lot of the movie that just doesn't work. Um, uh, but I think, but I think that like so, the music and the stuff that does makes it enjoy. And the fact that it's got refund time, you know, it's it's watchable. I had fun watching it, but it's certainly not what I would call quote unquote good. You know. Yeah. I I I would agree with you. I mean, it's it's just yeah, it's just so damn awkward, uh, for sure. Yeah. So yeah. So, but you know, a movie I would say is good though is the one we're going to talk about next. Uh, all right. Oh, any um, so anything that we would fast forward through? Uh, we... well, there's like so there's lots of bits of that I think don't work. Uh, okay. So I mean, I can't I can't really pick one, mm-hmm. but uh. I still like I still think I still think it's not a it's not a movie that I regret watching, and I'm not to jump too far ahead, right? But, you know, like there's lots of little things that I don't think work about it, but I think that the music and the fact that they're pretty people doing 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 you know sexy things mm-hmm. that carries it through quite a bit. Yeah, I I wanted to I wanted to fast forward through the whole um, scene where he's like breaking in the roof or whatever. That could have made that like a whole lot shorter. Like there was no, oh, yeah, no when, reason. When the, when the husband's figuring out yeah, what's going on. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, that was just like kind of unnecessary. Well, it's like, yeah, hey, I said, just well, have him go up well, and John, look, and then like, bam, it's like it's figured out. But they had to involve yeah. uh, Caruso's character into like hearing things, and like maybe there was a moment where he was going to, you know, spot him or like whatever. I, uh, you know, I, uh, you know. Yeah. 
Well, it goes back to John Getz is not is not likable in this movie. He's not sympathetic. Mm-hmm. Like I mean, you 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 don't really care. You don't really care when they, they he gets back together with his wife. You kind of feel bad. I feel I feel bad for her at the end of the movie. Uh, oh, again, not to go too far into spoilers, but you just kind of feel bad for her. Yeah, you almost want her and him to 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 do get together and run off and yeah. you know run off together and stuff like that. So I don't, you know, um, yeah, but yeah, kind of weird. Um, let's move on to Thief. So you said watch Thief. Said, okay, watch Thief. It's two hours long. Okay. Uh, holy crap. Um, it's good, right? <laughs> I mean, this is a hardcore movie. Uh, this is a hardcore gangster movie. And I'll just go ahead and say this. Uh, I could have only watched you know hour and like forty minutes of it. And just left the twenty, the last twenty minutes behind, and had my yeah, own, yeah. my my own happy ending, you know, before before yeah. all the crazy crap at the end. Uh, but yeah, it is a it is an awesome movie. It is very it is very intense. You have to remember it was written and directed by Michael Mann, who also uh, was involved with Manhunter, The Last of the Mohicans, Heat, The Insider, Hancock, Collateral and Public Enemies, and the executive producer of Miami Vice. And I think the closest movie that you can, that I think well, that, like, I was hold say, on, <laughs> well, before, like, the, that it takes the intensity level, if you can just, like, if you've never seen this movie, is Heat, because it is, like, that yeah. intense throughout the whole movie, really. Yeah, I was going to say, and he also did, you know, like you said, he also, he also did the movie version of Miami Vice, which is very yeah. underrated. Uh, you know, if you haven't seen the, the movie version of Miami Vice, I recommend it, mm-hmm. just to throw that out there right. uh but you're right to me in a lot of ways thief is kind of the proto heat like i mean it, it deals a lot of the same themes a lot, a lot of the same ideas it's got a little bit of the same structure yeah um but one thing you know heat's got de niro and val kilmer but you know and, and they're great they're yeah. you know some of our, our greatest living actors but but they're planning the, a hi- they're planning a heist there's this dance between the cops and the yeah. the, the robbers there's kind of like a connect i mean the heat has that connection but like as far as the the intensity, like you're you're really following like the the one guy. You're really following yeah. the main character Frank, who's played by an awesome James Con, you know, yes. and and uh you know trying to f- trying to get this high. So let me let me break down what heat or what heat what what he what thief is about. Frank is an expert safe cracker specializing in high profile diamond jobs. After having spent many years in prison. He has a very concrete picture of what he wants out of life, including a nice home, a wife, and kids. As soon as he is able to assemble the pieces of this collage by means of... Hold on. I lost my place. By means of this process, he signs on to take down a huge score for a big-time gangster. Unfortunately, Frank's obsession for his version of the American dream allows him to overlook his natural wariness and mistrust when making the deal for his final job. He is this. Uh, he is thus ensnared and robbed of his freedom, his independence, and ultimately his dream. Yes. Uh, well, what I was going to say, I mean, Heat, Heat is great, but Heat is very much a saga. Like it says it in the marketing of the of Heat, they call they call it an LA crime saga. Thief is a much more, like I said, it's much more laser focused, stripped down version of that story. And like I said, I think De Niro and Pacino are great. But I think I think James Caan is, I mean he's I mean he's a he's phenomenal in this movie. He's the best the 
nucleus of which the whole thing kind of rotates around. Like, like it, it may be his best performance. He's so good in it. Um, but you're right. It really focuses on him. It's way more stripped down. But if you like Heat, I can't, I can't imagine you not liking Thief. Yeah, James Gunn is absolutely incredible um, because you can, you can tell he's this very laser focused guy. Um, and, uh, but he's, you know, he's, he's just a matter of fact kind of guy, right? Like he's just like yeah. moving through, he's, he's doing his job. He's, he, you know, he's running his, uh, uh, you know, Lincoln, you know, car lot. He's, uh, you know, he's, he's kind of like the big man on campus and he's like, no, I work alone. I work, you know, but then he sets his, he has his own, uh, I don't know what you call it. Like, I don't know, code? like mantra code. Right. I mean, and yeah. you you hardly ever see that in in characters where you're just like, you know, they only do certain things. Like, I only do things a certain way, and that's that's the way he is. He's very methodical about you know all the things that he does, even the things that he you know does in his life. And but now he's like, he kind of wants out. He kind of wants a way. Like, you know, maybe there's another way. Maybe there's a, a way that's not like this. That's not. You know me, me always like having to you know steal all this money. Like, how much money do I really need, basically? Yeah. Well, I think I think it's I think when you get to a certain age, no matter who you are, you start looking for more in life. You start thinking about I I want to sit down roots. I want to have a family. I want to I want to I want to be a husband, a father. You know, I want that American dream. And uh, and I think that even though he is so laser focused, he is so professional that he can't help but yearn for that stuff he's never had. Like. They talk about in the film how he was in prison for uh, eleven years. He's only been out for four, and he just he, he's a. But now that he's out and free, he has all this money. He's been so successful in these few years. He realizes, like you said, how much money do I need? Now I want what I've never had, which is stability and a life that seems normal. And sadly, that's where characters and stories like this end up making mistakes. Yeah, making compromises because uh, like the whole premise is like, because uh, the intro is like make it they're they're doing a heist right, so uh, where he's stealing uh, like diamonds. You don't know what's in the little envelopes, but you find out later it's like it's diamonds. And then you know um, the the guy that he delivers to, oh, the boss wants to meet you. I don't want to you know meet him. If I want to meet people and talk, I'd go to the country club, you know, this kind of thing. And yeah, then, yeah. So they wind up shooting him, so he basically has to, you know, they have to meet, essentially, right? And then in, then the guy says, no, work for me. I can get you big jobs, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he says, no. <laughs> but then winds up taking it, right? Well, because he, he realizes in the end, uh, after he gets the sales pitch from, from the big boss, um, uh, this is a chance to score big and maybe get out. Like he's got this girl that he kind of likes that he's courting and he sees the opportunity. Like, you know, that, that, that old criminal mantra. If, if I just do one more job, I'm set and I can get out. Yeah. But the truth is they never get out. Yeah. You know, they never win. Yeah. And that's, that's really the tragedy of thief because like I say, Khan's character is so tough. He's so capable and he's so, he's so kind of focused, but on the inside, he's yearning for more. Yeah. Like, you know, much like with the earlier film, he wants connection. He wants emotional connection. And his his journey for that is what causes him to fail. Yeah, but you see... Because, yeah, but you see how hard his, you know, his character really is. His tough exterior uh, that he is. But then, 
you also have the softness quality that he yeah. that he has uh that you know that he has with his um with his friend uh with his uh partner Barry who's played by Jim Belushi yeah, in Jim Belushi's first movie, and yeah. like, uh, it's always surprising people when people find out Jim Belushi's in this flick, because you know Jim Belushi's kind of rehabilitated his image amongst amongst you know fandom in the past few years by being just a kind of a cool guy on Twitter. Uh, he's very cool. If you don't follow Jim, Jim Belushi on Twitter, you should. He's a trip. Uh-huh. Um, but he's kind of known for being like the guy who makes like sh- crappy kids films. Yeah, but he's very good in this. He's very good as like is like James Caan's sidekick, the Robin to his Batman. He's got like this kind of like, you know, shaggy. He's got like this like puppy dog quality where you just like, you just like them both so much. Yeah. Yeah. He's kind of like the tech guy or whatever uh, that works yeah. with everything. But, um, but yeah. And, and, and I love how he, you know, dresses too. Dresses, you know, like in those like silk, like Hawaiian shirts and in those like yeah. silk jackets. Like everybody had those like silk jackets back in, in yeah. that day, in the mid 80s, like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because it, it was not, it was not, it was 1981, so it was the beginning of the 80s. Yeah. But the fashion was still very much late 70s. Like, like stuff that she didn't just shut off at 1980. Like oh, there yeah. was still a lot of the 70s vibe bleeding into this time period. Mm-hmm. And you really see it in all the costuming. It's kind of, it's kind of a trip and it's fun to go back and look at. Uh, Oh, definitely. Um, and uh, yeah, because I mean, the, and the scene is in the setting is Chicago, uh, so it's great. And I mean, I love how they go to like the blues bars and stuff like that. Like um, that was yeah. awesome. But I think there was this nobody scene with Willie with Willie Dixon that got cut, um, even just so like from from the intro even. Well, what I was gonna say is nobody shoots a city at night like Michael Mann. Like, yeah. I mean, it just they just buzz with energy. Like the way he shoots, like like the neon lit, like like city, like vibe. Mm-hmm. Like it just feels like it just feels alive and vibrating with energy. Mm-hmm. And uh, you mentioned Willie Nelson in this. And oh yeah, like, uh, he's he's so good as like James Con's mentor, Okla. Oh yeah. So sure that's another that's another guy that I was like surprised. I'm like sitting there watching the cast. I'm like, well, Willie Nelson. I'm like, what Willie Nelson? And yeah, he yeah. plays like his uh, kind of like his mentor, um, taught him everything he knows. And you know, he got you know pinched, you know. So he's in, uh, you know. So he gets a letter from him like, I, I don't need money. I just need to see you, you know. So he goes to see him, and um, you know, he's like, you know, get me out of here, you know. He play. I mean. Yeah. You love Willie in this. I mean, he plays such a um, his acting is so great in it. You know, uh, yeah. like you well, can he, see his eyes dancing around. Like I don't, you know, I don't know like what I'm supposed to do or what I'm supposed to say because I, you know, I, he, you know, he's being watched all the time. You know, he's just, just like yeah. playing like such a uh, scared. You can see. Uh, like I don't know where that scaredness comes from. Whether it's like you, you know, yeah. he's not just. Because he's Willie Nelson, he doesn't have to be scared because he's in front of the camera. He's just that's just, yeah. that's what he's playing. Well, and it's also like you can tell you like he's this character is dying, which is why he wants out of prison. And so you can get, you can get that vibe that he's scared that he's he's reaching the end of his life. We can also what I got what I get from him so often is you can really feel the love he has for James Con's character Frank. Mm-hmm. Like I mean, like I mean, he just you can tell that he really looks at him like a son. Mm-hmm. And uh, to me, that's one of the more endearing like relationships in Thief is is their relationship. Like you know that you know James Conn just wants to 
to do good for him. He's kind of, he's kind of his da- kind of his makeshift dad. Yeah. Well, he wants him to be proud of him. He wants to impress him. He wants to do right by him. And mm-hmm. that's another reason why it's hard not to just love James Caan in this movie because he's because he so clearly loves you know Willie Nelson's character Okla. Yeah. Yeah, I I so wish like the next time you see him, uh, he's just like on the hospital bed and doesn't really say much. You really wish you would have got some more, you know, sort of, you know, wisdom from him. But I think the idea was, um, you know, for the movie, like knowing the ending, like, you know, that that's why uh, Frank did what he did, you know, because he didn't have that fatherly, like, wisdom, like, behind him or whatever. You know yeah. what I mean? Well, you know, so much of it is about Frank getting everything he wants and then suddenly losing it. You know, like, yeah. he gets so close to everything he ever wanted. And it's all taken away from him because, again, you never get out. There's never a last score. If you get into bed with horrible people, they're going to do horrible things to you. And uh, yeah. which let's let, let's talk about the guy who's kind of the big boss for a second. Uh, yeah, uh, Robert Prosky. Robert Robert Prosky, who's in. Uh, you might know him from Mrs. Doubtfire or The Natural or Last Action Hero, uh, Rudy. Uh, he was also in Hill Street Blues, and then also played recurring characters on Coach. And on Cheers and on Frasier, I mean the guy gets around. Yeah, he's one of those. He's one of those that guy actors. You're gonna see him. You're gonna be like, oh yeah, it's the theater owner from the Last Action Hero. Or, oh yeah, it's uh, it's you know the priest from Rudy. Or oh yeah, it's uh, that guy from Mrs. Doubtfire. You're just gonna recognize him immediately. And he really plays against type in this, even though it was his first role. Yeah, like, this is his like, first major role, which is amazing because he plays like such this soft spoken. You know, businessman is going to take care of everything. And then, you know, turns out to be this hardcore, like, mobster guy. But still, he's just, like, a very, you know. He's very unassuming un- yes. until 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 James Caan bucks against him a little bit. Yeah. And, like, like their, two, their, two, their two bullish attitudes clash. No. Like, uh, well, that's the way, gonna out. Yeah, well, that's the way he, he brought him in because he knew that if, if he brought him in that way, like, hey, you're going to do what I would do, then he, he wouldn't have done it. You know, he wouldn't have done everything. So he's like, okay, so you're going to make my first score. Then you piss me off. I'll show you, you know, then I'll show you my hand and show you what I'm capable of. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, but anyway. But I was gonna say, but no one out, no one out toughs James Con, which yeah. is what this, this movie shows us. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, like, I, like, like I like I love it when when he when uh when when Prosky turns the switch and becomes hard like James Caan really out toughs him he he's like he does the whole are, are you talking to me he moment when uh right. when Prosky tries to like tough talk him he's like are, are you talking to me did someone else come in just now yeah you know oh yeah and he just like he like he, like James Caan is unflappable in this movie when it's when it's when it's time to be tough like I mean his 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 hard guy dialogue his his tough guy banter. You can't beat it, man. Like James Conn was so good at the "I will mess you up and not even think twice about it" quality. Oh yeah. Well, didn't you even have like a? Didn't you recently like tweet about that or whatever? And and oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, back back when we, we, we uh, this will come out probably a, a couple months from when we're recording this. But just just the other day, I when I rewatched Thief, I mentioned I made a jokey thing about how much. Like I, I, how much I like James Caan, I said I want to be James Caan when I grow up because he he literally at this time period he was everything that is man to me. Like he is he's tough and capable, but yet sensitive. And I, I wrote this little jokey tweet, but with sincerity, like I think he's awesome. Yeah. And James Caan, who runs his own Twitter, 
If you know, again, if you don't follow James Conn on Twitter, if you're on, if you're on, if you're on Twitter, you should. He runs his own. It's pretty great. He saw my tweet and liked it, so I was over the moon for the entire oh, day. That's awesome. Knowing that that he saw my tweet about how much I love him, and he liked it. Oh yeah. Now, right, how much you wanted to be like what his character is, whatever. Yeah, how much I wish I could be like James Conn from this time period, because like I so said, to me, he is he's almost everything like like a man should be. Mm-hmm. You know, like he's because he, he wants to be a father, he wants to be sensitive, but yet he's still capable and a man of action. Uh-huh. Like he's really like he's almost like to me he's he's so. Like he's such a great hero and he's such a great protagonist. Like you, mm. you just want him to win. Yeah, you know. Yeah, which uh, makes the which makes the end of the movie very sad. Yeah. Um. The what was I gonna say? Oh, uh, I lost my uh, train of thought. It's, it's okay. Uh, I often lose my train of thought when I'm thinking about how awesome James Conn <laughs> is too. Oh. What was I gonna say? Uh, because I was thinking about what what some of the things that we haven't talked about yet. Um, but no, I mean, I, oh, I know what exactly what I was going to say. James Conn, he's one of these guys. Uh, I mentioned to a, uh, to you before when we were doing our our pre show, uh, you know, like warm up. That basically, he's a guy who, I mean, he's an older you know actor, obviously, but this is a guy who worked with. Um, uh, John Wayne. I mean, I read an article recently where he talked about like working with John Wayne and what that was like and what it was like to be on set because he worked on a, a movie that was like in between like Rio Bravo and another movie or like right before Rio Bravo, something like that. And he just talked about the intensity of, you know, like what you know, that John Wayne had like on the set or whatever. And he called him kid and all this other kind of stuff. So, I mean, he, I mean, I think that Khan got to uh, sort of learn uh, from all the experiences like on set that he, that he had because he's played all these uh, other roles and uh, thief, I think was like a big role for him at the, at the time. Right. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, because I mean, he he was still he was still a very hot actor at the at the, in the early eighties. I mean, um, but 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 Thief, of course, was going was to be a big role for him because it's basically it's basically the James Conn show. You know, I mean, it's basically he's front and center. He's basically the only character you follow. And I mean, I'm sure I'm sure he saw the script and was like, "This script's phenomenal. Of course, I want to be this be in this movie." Yeah, you know, and I, I think and honestly, I think it's got some of James Conn's best acting. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he's been in. I mean, he's been. In, he was in the Godfather for 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 Christ's sake. I yeah, mean, I mean, he's like, in I mean, uh, the Godfather. He was uh, the with the Rain people. He's in. Um, uh, what was he uh, with? Yeah, so he's worked with Coppola. He's worked with um, some other people. Uh, Hitchcock. I mean, I mean, Did he work with Hitchcock? I mean, he's worked with Mel Brooks. I mean, yeah, he worked with he worked with Mel Brooks on on Silent Movie. Uh, I don't think I don't pretty sure he didn't work with Hitchcock. I might be wrong on that, but I think Hitchcock was probably gone by the time Khan was around. Uh, well, I mean, even in 1965, he was in a movie called The Glory Guys, right? He got nominated then for a Golden Globe Award for New Star of the Year, and that was like the third movie that he was was ever in, uh, and that's probably one of the biggest ones that he uh, got. And then just like less than ten years later, he's in uh, the you know The Godfather. Uh, you know, he's in uh, The Gambler, The Godfather Part Two. I mean, 
1941. I mean, yeah, the, the, gamb- the gambler's Tracy. phenomenal. Uh, uh, like, I mean, movies I, movies I like, like, I mean, people in life I know, Rollerball from the 70s. Rollerball is a great science fiction movie. Yes. Uh, Freebie and the Bean, which is a movie that was kind of forgotten for years and years, was kind of the proto-buddy action comedy film mm-hmm. uh, with him with him and Alan Arkin. That movie's, I think that movie's great. It's got amazing stonework, and again, just it's like it's like Lethal Weapon before there was Lethal Weapon, right? You know, like a decade earlier. Oh yeah. Um, well, I mean, even his and, his character, like in uh, The Gambler, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. He was the supporting character. He got a Golden Globe for best supporting. Uh, you know, got a Golden Globe award for best actor in that movie. He got a Golden Globe award for best supporting actor uh, in both the Golden Globes and Academy Awards in The Godfather. Uh, yeah. I mean, in Rollerball, he won the Saturn Award for Best Actor. Um, yeah. He won in, fu- in um, Funny Lady. He won a Golden Globe for Best Actor. I mean, this guy's like doing all kinds of stuff, yeah. right? Yeah, they don't they don't make movie stars like James Caan anymore. They don't make guys who are both talented actors but also feel feel like real people anymore. Because I mean, James Caan looks like a normal guy who's also handsome. But he doesn't look like a guy who's just like. Like movie stars nowadays are so like model esque, mm-hmm. like they don't they don't feel like they could really win in a fight. Like James Con looks like, like I said this back when we talked about James Con when we talked about Honeymoon in Vegas. James Con keeps up like the kind of guy who would have no problem socking you in the nose, you know. <laughs> but it was still like a likable character. Like you still wanted to hang yeah. out with him and and you know yeah. and 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 be fun. Like I remember after he lost, yeah. After, you know, he's like, yeah, you owe me a million dollars, but you know, hey, you know, it's okay. Like. <laughs> yeah, like, like 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 he would punch you in the mouth and then buy you a beer afterwards and say, "Hey, you did your best." You yeah, know, right? Uh, you know, yeah. Sometimes you win, yeah. sometimes you lose. Like you're just like, okay, you know. Yeah, movie stars like that nowadays. I mean, and that's such a such a such a such a bitter old man thing to say. But movie stars these days do not have that quality. They just don't. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's one reason Khan is special. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, he, he's phenomenal. But like I said, the movie eventually takes a turn where. Things go bad for him. He has to, like he, he's like, he's like I said, the, the the bad guys basically turn on him, and it becomes like this big reckoning of violence, and it turns into almost like a a wild bunch kind of shootout at the end, with like bloody squibs and gunfire, and and it's it's you know it, it has a pretty much a downer ending. Yeah. Like if you, like if you've seen Heat, you kind of get where it's going. Yeah. Like it, I, it very much follows the structure of Heat. Yeah, I think I think the term that I used was scorched earth. Yes, I mean it's it's and, basically uh, that that sort of thing, and it and it's just like wow, okay, okay, all right, I see where this is going, um, and it kind of reminded me of like you were saying that like a lot of movies like this, and I guess like a lot of uh like noir like gangster movies are like this, where it's kind of like okay, you kind of like feel the vibe of like what's going on, and then like the last you know bit of it is where like all the the violence and all the like bad stuff happens, uh, because really, I mean, I think about it before, it's like. If you do that in the middle of the movie, you're going to be carrying it all throughout the movie. Yeah, you know, it's almost too much. It's almost yeah. too much. I mean, and, and I think I think that's why like movies like Casino, you know, where like the Joe Pesci scene in Corfield, that's almost like too much, right? Like, oh, it is. You know, because that happens like middle of the movie or three quarters of the way through the movie. You know, whatever. Yeah, like the Casino to me is a hard watch. I mean, it's a masterpiece, but you have to kind of brace yourself to watch Casino. Yeah. Um, 
but, but yeah, to me, this is the end, and I, I wasn't, I, I, I wasn't prepared for it. To be quite honest, I, you know, try to like not read upon these movies. I try to not do notes before I uh, write it or spoilers or whatever. Very new, very little about it, and uh, I enjoyed it very much. And then, like I said, I could have just like, okay, they went to the beach. Okay, everything was everything happy, happy and beautiful, and I'm just gonna accept that as my ending. But then it goes for 20 more minutes, and things turn bad. But yeah. the last, tw- but the last 20 minutes. I mean, the whole movie. It's not that them. It's not that that stuff is bad. No, the last 20 minutes of this movie are phenomenal. It's just, it's just dark. Yeah, like it gets, it gets violent. It gets dark. It gets real because these are stories about violent people. Yeah, and violent people meet violent ends. Yeah, it's and, the, uh, the the beach scene is not a realistic ending to the. You know, to the all the all the other realism to the movie. That's like the fantasy ending, I think. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, I think I, th- I think man, you know, merciful, mercifully gives his characters that 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 couple days of happiness. You know. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's like, like almost. A, but go ahead. I was say almost like God looking down upon his creation. He's gonna bless them with a few days of happiness before the reckoning comes. Yeah. I I mean I I just remember like that scene. And going, oh, okay, and then like looking to see how much time was left, and I was like, oh, oh, yeah. God, you can you can kind of <laughs> like there's just like my expression on my face, like, oh, jeez, uh, and then yeah. yeah, and then you're just like, oh man, oh man, oh man, yeah. it's just like a series of those before you're just like, wow, yeah. uh, that's some cold stuff. And uh, I don't want to ruin it for anybody that's never seen it, but uh, just be prepared. That's all I have to say is just be prepared. It's uh, well, it's it it does have I don't know. It's it, it, an an empty ending. It's not happy. It's empty. I guess you would say. I think I think it's honest. I think that's the way to say it. Like again, as we go back to you know, people get the endings they deserve, and. Uh, but one thing I will say, not to get not to spoil it too much, but talking about how the connections it has with man's later heat, yeah, like there's little bits of references to what he would later go on, later go on to do in heat. Like there's a moment where where Frank James Conn's character talks about how the heat is on them, yeah, and uh, he actually uses the phrase heat, mm. and he talks about having to leave everything, which is very much a a a, a proto version of Robert De Niro and Neil Macaulay's character in Heat saying. You know, don't have anything in your life you can't walk away from in five seconds flat. Right. You feel the heat around the corner. Yeah. That's that's how you survive as a, a person outside the law. Yeah. You can't have attachments, and that's where these characters fail. Because it's not sustainable to be a, a ghost, you know, just kind of fluttering through life on the, on the, on the sh- outskirts and the shadows. Because people want love. They want connection. And these, honestly, these characters don't deserve it. They're, they're, they're not good people. And that's 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 why they meet a reckoning. I mean, we can like them. We can like James James Conn's character. We can like Belushi's character, but they're they're bad people, and that's and bad people have to meet their end, or have to have some sort of retribution karmically. Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, I you think know? everybody. I mean, if you've uh, yeah seen Heat, that's a very memorable uh, line uh, about that. About you know where De Niro says. Um, ha- has the, you know, the moment in the coffee shop, and and you know I, and that's another one of the thing about Michael Mann. It's the you know kind of the the thing like the the coffee shop scene uh, between uh, Pacino and and um, De Niro uh, 
is very much very reminiscent of the the coffee shop scene between um Frank and and uh the girl that he's with uh played play by Tuesday Weld yeah. yeah Tuesday uh Jesse so but like yeah where he's talking to Jesse or whatever and it's where it's like this coffee shop is like where everybody becomes like vulnerable and they spill you know like their heart's desires or whatever and that's what made me think of like you know, like Pulp Fiction. Like, remember Jules and his scene in there, yeah. and you know, in the in the coffee shop, and and mm. uh, all this stuff. Like, it, it just like you can tell all these people like borrowed a lot of the you know a lot of the stuff. So it's like, yeah. I mean, it, it, yeah, it's think, it's uh, what you know when when two people a lot of people talk about you know like when we share uh, a beer or share like a wine or share you know like something we go drinking. But I'm telling you, coffee conversations are some of the best conversations. Well, that's what I was going to say. What it makes me think of, especially the scene in, in Thief, is when you're young and you're in college or, or you're, you're working your first job and you've had a hard day or you're working a late shift and you go to like a coffee shop or you go to like a Denny's and you have that friend or you have that person you're in a relationship with and you're having like that, that, that let's get real conversation at two in the morning over a cup of coffee in some, in some crap hole like restaurant or diner. We've all had those. Everyone's yeah. had. I mean, I've had more than one. I know you've had more than one where you just have this one where you're just getting real with someone about your hopes, your dreams, your fears. And it's almost like you can't help it. It's something about that setting, that somber setting in the middle of the night where you just kind of want to open yourself up and to be, to be open to letting all those kind of like thoughts and fears out. Yeah, it's where you can become vulnerable and it becomes kind of a safe space, you know, kind of thing. And, uh, you know, you can, you feel okay to open up to your, to your friends and, and you both kind of like, you know, lean on each other and become each other's support and stuff like that. I mean, that's where there's like magic, but yeah, that's, but in the movie thief, that's where you learn of the character's motivations or whatever. Then he's not just this, you know, hard nosed boss or hard nosed this, like it gives, it gives him a lot more, you know, depth. And uh, yeah. that's it's sort of where thing. you start to yeah. understand him, and it's and yeah. it, and it's where it's where Tuesday Wells' character really falls in love with him. Like it, the movie's kind of tr- kind of plays with time a little bit; it jumps around a little bit in the timeline where you skip over certain things. But that's where she really falls for his character. That's where he starts to have the life he had dreamed of, mm-hmm. where he finally has this, this bit of stability. It begins in that moment where he chooses to be open. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it gives you a lot to uh, think about, but. Um, it's amazing, amazing movie, amazing, amazing cast, very real in its depiction scenes of, you know, what thieves do. I don't think it glorifies it at all. Um, no, it, it looks like really hard work is yeah, what it looks like. It is. Uh, I mean, and, and the, really, if you, if you want to be honest, it's almost like what real and real, uh, you know, gangster kind of stuff. Like there's nothing... I mean, you know, in the seventies, there was this real push for like the, the gritty realness, mm-hmm. and this this feels very gritty real. Yeah, it's kind it's kind of it's kind of that almost too. Eighty one with like a Tangerine yeah. Dream soundtrack, right? But still, yeah, yeah, like uh, you're, the uh, you're right. It feels like the continuation of uh, the uh, of the gritty seventies vibe, and but you're right, the Tangerine. We haven't talked about the amazing Tangerine Dream soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Like I mean, it's as good as the Faltermeyer soundtrack, but it's, it's laid over an even better movie, and so it, it makes the whole movie. Well, Thief just pulses 
with an energy and and the, the soundtrack really really adds to that like oh, i yeah. mean like you can just drive at night listening to this soundtrack and feel like the coolest person in the world oh yeah uh it, it's just it's it's soundtrack you can just vibe with yeah i mean even and if you wanted to like so put it on and like get a bunch of you know work or you know stuff done or whatever i mean you can have it on i mean it's that kind of thing it's it's very sort of intense and um yeah, it's 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 propulsive. Yeah. It it moves and it just I don't know. It, it gets me it gets me in a mood to like get stuff done. Yeah, yeah. If you want to be productive, uh, Tangerine Dream is is probably like a good one because yeah. uh yeah because it has like a pulse. It has like a a thing. I mean, and that's the kind of thing like a city. You know, a city's supposed to have a pulse like twenty four seven, right? Like that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, it definitely does, and that's one thing about. I mean, it's one. It's one of the many reasons why this movie is phenomenal and uh, and, and a modern classic. Uh, so I think we've I think we've really kind of gone over it pretty well about what makes Thief so memorable. But if you had to, if, but what's your rewind and savor moment from this movie? If you, if you were going to go back and watch just one scene from Thief, as as your the moment you would rewind and savor, what would that be, Ryan? The coffee shop scene. I mean, obviously. I mean, that's where. The crux yeah. of the whole movie, like, rests upon. And, uh, you know, I don't think that you would have as great a movie or great um, sort of explanation or great sort of uh, things without that scene. Um, I, so I, I completely agree. I, I think it's a pivotal, pivotal scene. And it is, it, is, uh, it, it is what hooks you in besides just like oh let me see frank let me see what he's gonna do let me see how he's gonna actually do this next heist uh no you care more about the character and where the character is going rather than i mean and that is what becomes the MacGuffin, if you will right yeah like like his 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 dreams are really what almost motivate the film yeah um and i agree to me that's that movie is the heart of the entire thing i mean if you take that scene out the whole thing i think falls apart even though I think everything about that movie is great, well, I, I think that's I don't think it the, falls apart. I just don't think it might be as as interesting, or might we would be talking well, about it like thirty, forty years, you know, whatever. I think I think that's the scene that pushes it from being good to being classic. Yeah, um, yeah. Like because he, again, Khan is just wonderful in it. It's so it's so beautifully shot, and it's so the the writing is so it's so intricate and delicate and and con just nails this like masculine v- vulnerability and uh to me like i said it, it's the heart of the movie yeah. like i mean the movie would suffer greatly mm-hmm. if you took it out yeah because i mean there, and, there are hardcore movies if you want to watch like hardcore crime uh movies and stuff like that i mean you can watch like charles bronson and stuff like that right which are awesome yeah like guy i'm like crime you know movies but this one is uh this is different because there's this relatable guy there yeah, and you you care about you care about him because he has relatable, you know, very normal, very kind of romantic dreams, and we all have things like that. Yeah. Um. So I completely agree with you that that's that's I mean if you any saver if any if you only ever see one scene from the movie, which you can't imagine why you'd only watch one scene from this great movie, uh-huh. it would be that one. Right. But are there any things you'd want to fast forward through? I guess the last twenty minutes. <laughs> Besides for you, right? the last twenty minutes. <laughs> I want to say that the scene where uh the scene where he's uh at the you know where they're trying to adopt or whatever and oh no he, it's hard it's a heartbreaking scene it is heartbreaking but and I know that he uses some racial slurs in that movie so it just kind of yeah. like and that's his character 
and that's that's not really like you know that's who that character was at that time and i don't think there's anything that you know we need to you know cancel because of it or erase because of it it just tells you where you know i think it's very honest in 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 playing that character um uh so but i i just thought that was a little cringy and i didn't really um yeah it's always it's always hard to go back and look at these things through modern eyes and he does use some very insensitive language but to me that's because that scene is heartbreaking because he talks about how he was raised by the state and how he, he was one of these kids he's trying to save and how could you not want to give a child a chance and again that goes back to his his his, his vulnerability and like he wants to be tough and he wants to be like like threatening, but he's just heartbroken in that scene. So you're right. To me, that's the language makes it a, a little a little difficult. But you have to take these movies in the time period they were made. Yeah. Um, if well, anything they, for that, not only just the time period, but the character. I mean, he's a very unlikable yeah. character from the begin with. He's not the most educated character to begin with. He has been in jail for like ten years for, uh, for you know for things. So you you have to take all that into consideration. I think. Yeah, and I, and I don't think I don't think the movie condones no. that language uh-huh. or anything like that. No. Not, not not to get too like twenty first century like like awakened person, but th- it is a hard scene because it's just it's uncomfortable. Yeah, and I t- I totally get why you feel that way. Yeah, um, but I mean even not, even uh, even the the Jesse was like okay oh, okay you need to like as soon as he starts in she's like okay you yeah, need she's like, you need don't not stop <laughs> yeah, calm, stop calm down yeah, right yeah. yeah so and he does to me it's heartbreaking for him. Yeah. Uh, that's that's a sad scene because um, yeah. it's it's him being denied what he what he wants and what he probably what he can kind of feel like he's almost earned through suffering, um, mm. but there are no happy endings in stories like this. No. Um, far now, I, what I'm going to say, and this is such a cop out, but I wouldn't I wouldn't fast forward past any of this movie. I think it's a modern classic. Okay. Like I said, I think it's fundamental to to the things I like as a movie fan. Uh-huh. I think it, I think I think it's damn near perfect. Okay. I. I mean, yeah. It, yeah, it's hard to it's hard to uh, it's hard to argue with that. You know what I mean? It's yeah. it's uh, it's hard to um, it is part of the Criterion Collection. So yeah, and 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 now that I know that James Con has some vague idea of who I might be, I can't ever <laughs> say anything bad about him ever again because I don't want him to, I don't want him to suck me in the nose. <laughs> James Con's not gonna suck you in the nose. <laughs> you don't know that, Ryan. <laughs> He's not the characters that he plays. I'm sure he's a nicer guy than that. I know he knew, probably knew John Wayne. I mean, he he worked with John Wayne, but yeah, he seems like a pretty stand-up guy. I mean, uh, so let's move on to the notes. Uh, Thief of Hearts, made 1994. Like I said uh, before, it was made right after the success of writer Douglas D- Douglas D. Stewart's An Officer and a Gentleman. Stewart called the film... Quote, an unusual romantic drama described as an American last tango in Paris. He goes, I never try to write to the market. I just write love theme material. I think my last project shows there has been terrible starvation for the love theme projects in the movies. So the last project meaning an officer and a gentleman. So um, Stewart said that the story started for me about 12 years ago when I was robbed. You try to put faces to people that came around and walked and lifted your personal possessions. They might have touched the bed where you slept or looked at the intimate photo in that drawer. That was the beginning of the story, but I didn't quite have a handle on it for many years until I added the element of the journals. And I would say you probably without the journals, it probably would be, uh, you know, he would just be, this person would just be like intrigued by the photo or something like that, which would be even more weird, right? 
Yeah. Um, actress Diane Keaton and Warren Beatty were considered to play the leads of The Wife and the Thief during the film's development. But in the end, writer-director Douglas Day Stewart decided to cast younger leads in the two lead roles. Which, which, I mean, I can see why he did that. It's probably a reason why the movie is not endured. Because if, if he had a Diane Keaton and Warren Beatty, more people would know what the hell this movie is. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that was a bad decision. Because I don't think it's that bad uh, nowadays to have, even though the, he was a bit of a young thief, to go after this kind of like older woman. This That would have been even more, that, that would have been even kind of cooler yeah. to me. Because he's reading these journals, like he's like, Oh, here's a more sophisticated woman I want to be with. Anyway, yeah, and I th- I, th- I think that he he, he kind of bet that Bauer would be a bigger star because he this wasn't this was not that far removed from Scarface. Yeah, and he didn't realize that Bauer was going to nosedive like he did. Yeah, um, it was made after the Simpsons Brinkhouse success of Flash Dance. Like I said. This was the film that the only flop from Simpson and Bruckheimer in their early days. Don Simpson later dismissed Stewart in an interview saying hey, he is a man with nice hair. He should probably stick to writing. <laughs> yeah. He's a man with nice hair. He should probably stick to writing. That's 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 that's, that's harsh. That's, <laughs> that is that's 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 cold. Uh yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> how is he how is he, is he as a director, Don? Well, he's got nice hair. He should stick to directing. What he says. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's not good. Yeah, yeah that's pretty, you know, I mean you have to admit, I mean, of all of their stuff that they've done, it's like a flash dance, uh, you know Beverly Hills Cop, Thief of Hearts. What? Yeah. Anyway. Uh, like, I remember when I saw when I saw your article on her on her on her on Fall Tomorrow, I was like, What is Thief of Hearts? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um it was the first American, like I said, American Hollywood film scored by Harold Faltermeyer. Although Faltermeyer worked on several films as an assistant to electronica composer and icon Giorgio Moroder, including movies uh, Midnight Express, American Gigolo, and Foxes. And Gigolo actually was produced by uh, Bruckheimer. And Moroder also composed uh, himself, composed uh, Flashdance and Scarface, which. Scarface was not produced by Bruckheimer, but did star Stephen Bauer. So, yeah, that's a weird connection between, like, Scarface, because Marauder was on it, and and Stephen Bauer. But anyway, um, you know, and and then Harold Faltermeyer went on to do uh, Jerry Bruckheimer films, Beverly Hills Cop, and then also did Fletch, which Fletch wasn't a Bruckheimer film, um, but that also starred George Wint. And he did Fletch and Fletch 2 before Faltermeyer returned to Germany uh, because he didn't want his kids to grow up in L.A. He wanted them to have the German childhood that he had. So that's why he left. And we don't really see him on film scores anymore. So, there. Yeah, you know. I think we've, we pretty much covered everything that Faltermeyer has done film score-wise now. Yeah, thanks. Which, uh, is a, which is a weird hat trick to make, but we, we've done it. Yeah, Fletch, but yeah, pretty much. Uh, the... Movie was nominated for a Golden Raspberry Award for more worst music score, but the Razzie. Yeah, that's, that's some BS, man. Wow. All these these eighty these eighty power these eighty synth ballads are, are are catchy as hell, man. Yeah, I mean, and maybe at the time they didn't want this. They were really more about you know these big thematics, you know, cinema scores, not these you know synthesizer type of stuff. They thought it was like really kind of cheesy. And but now it's like everybody uses it. I mean, there's like a lot of stuff that is uh, 
you know, has synthesized. I don't think there's anything wrong. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, back then that they, but the one that it didn't win, um, but the one that won was um, Peter Bernstein and Elmer Bernstein for their love scenes from Borleo starring Bo Derek. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Hindsight. It's always funny how hindsight works. That kind of stuff. Like, I mean, you know, people know who Harold Faltermeyer is. I've never heard of the music from that other movie. So, you know. yeah. Well, and and I think they put Moroder a lot on the rat. Like a Razzie got nominated. A lot of Moroder scores were nominated too. So whatever. Uh, the make and model of the car driven by Scott Bauer was a classic 1960 red Mercedes Benz 300 SL Roadster Coupe. These are this is definitely a, a good episode for nice looking cars in films. There's some pretty cars in both these movies. Yeah, but I think the girl just drives like a VW Bug, right? And yeah, she's just yeah. driving like a standard well, car. Well, she, well she's not a sexy cat burglar, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I wonder what uh, motorcycle Caruso was on. I wonder. Yeah. Uh, anyway, the budget was eight million. Box office did ten point four million. Wow, that's surprising. Yeah, I mean, it made back what it, it was, but that's still considered a flop, right? Unless you like double it or do more than you that. You have to double it. Yeah, that's yeah. that's that's how the math works. Well, and then they even said that they finished, uh, you know, shooting like two weeks early. And I've never seen a movie like every movie that I've ever watched that have been like. This is awesome. They always go over budget and they always go like over the shot days, right? Like to yeah, to me, a, I don't think they're you're a good director unless you can do those two things. <laughs> yeah, you have to. Well, to me, it means you're not. You're probably not thinking hard enough about how it's all going to stitch together. Yeah, yeah. You know, because that's that's crazy to think they would end that soon. Yeah, yeah. Um, and well, I mean, it did compete against other movies like Beverly Hills Cop, The Terminator, The Razor's Edge, Stop Making Stints. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, Dune. So all those were kind of yeah. still in the theater and yeah. released around the same time. So yeah, it never had a chance, man. Yeah, yeah that's that's a murderer's row of interesting movies, right? I mean, it stopped making sense. I mean, come on, man. Yeah, <laughs> let's go see the Talking Heads. Yeah, it's the greatest. It's like the greatest rock, you know, concert film ever made. Uh, okay. Here's the weird thing. Uh, of course, we don't have a Roger Ebert uh, score, but and we do have. He a, wasn't going to waste his time. No. Yeah. We we do have a uh, Rotten Tomatoes. There is no critics score from Rotten Tomatoes. No Rotten Tomatoes critic has reviewed this movie for the first time in sixty-seven episodes, sixty-eight episodes. Yes. Yeah, we don't have a Rotten Tomatoes score. Amazing. Not, not for the critics. Now the audience score yeah. is fifty percent. There are people that are out there that have commented on it, and you can go and look. But yeah, I mean. It's it is what it is. I haven't looked at like Metacritic or anything. Let's look right quick. Yeah, I mean, but even you haven't seen it, right? I'm not not, not until not for not until for this doing it for this. I I had not heard of it as I said earlier until I saw you mention it in relation to Faltermeyer. Yeah, I mean, there's even a theme song, the Thief of Hearts theme song. Um, yeah, I do Thief of Hearts. No results found. And I am spelling thief correctly, okay? I before there's, that's, uh, there's always that doubt when you search for things with, like the word thief. It's, you know? it, I before E, people. All right, so now we we're going to do... We went, we went to public school, <laughs> so, you know. All right, we're now going to do Thief from 1981. The screenplay for this film was adapted from the novel called The Home Invaders that was written by Frank Homier, a professional thief. Homier was uh, serving time in prison at the time that this film was in production, and he actually died in uh, custody 
from due to complication uh, last year in 2020 due to complications due to COVID-19. So, um, so yeah, it made me interesting about, uh, you know, about the movie, the home invaders. Uh, but it was also kind of based on like a lot of good movies. They're kind of like put together from a lot of different pieces. So it was also based on, uh, some of the stories from the 19th, what was called the, the, 19th Holes Crew, run by Mafia Don Anthony uh, Giuseppe Cassio, who stole more than $100 million from safety deposit boxes and vaults during the 1970s and 1980s. So I did not know that. That's interesting. Um, and according to Michael Mann, Leo, the main Leo, is based on two real-life criminals who ran crews of thieves in Chicago. Uh, one was Milwaukee Phil... Alders, Aldericio and Ligo Rugendorf. So there's kind of an amalgam between those two. Uh, in 1995, Thief was released uh, in a new Laserdisc set billed as the Special Director's Edition, which carried over to the film's 1998 DVD release. So for 16 years, that was the only home video release of the film in the U.S. until... Criterion's 2014 edition, uh, and the there are minor differences between like mm-hmm. the the main uh, theatrical version and what is on uh, the like the laserdisc slash DVD is that there's a, a scene with Willie Dixon on the bank of the Chicago River that takes place right after Khan drives away from the opening heist. So mm-hmm. he was actually yeah. in the film, which I thought was really awesome. Yeah, it's it's one of the rare director's cuts that's actually shorter than the theatrical version. Yeah. Uh there's some slow motion scenes during the final shoot up that were sped up because they they sped down the frame rate and you can really tell cuz there's like flickering street lights or whatever and you can see yeah. they really like slowed it down. But in I guess he probably thought that effect looked a little cheesy so he actually like sped it up a little bit. Uh, yeah, people People have always been sad that you can't get the other version. I mean, I was always kind of bummed that Criterion didn't include both in, in, yeah. in their set. But, uh, but I mean, I, I like the film the way it is now. I get why man wanted to change it. Yeah. But I wish that the other version was available just for, like, archival purposes. The Criterion Collection is a sort of a hybrid between the theatrical version and the director cut. The early scene mm-hmm. from the director cut with Willie Dixon has been added back in, but the rest of the film... Uh, is the is is with the slow motion shots untouched? Yeah, yeah. That that, that is correct. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Jeff Bridges was Michael Mann's choice to play Frank, but was rejected due to the fact that he was young and wasn't experienced enough to play a hardened criminal. I can't see Jeff Bridges in this role at all. No. Mm-mm. Uh, the prison story that Frank tells in his monologue is based on a letter that Michael Mann received from a real inmate. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. So yeah, once again, it's like a you, you pull from all these different sources from like real things and and uh, yeah. So that's that's interesting that um, uh, Michael Mann, you know, I you have to wonder like who would write him or who would tell him on the stuff. This is interesting. Yeah. Um. Well, that, go ahead. I mean, if that's what it all feels very honest. So you can tell that a lot of stuff is pulled from reality because it feels very real and lived in. Mm-hmm. After The Godfather in 1972, this is apparently James Kahn's favorite film uh, of his own. He has stated that uh, the monologue that the driver 
or the, the driver, the diner is the scene that he is most proud of his career. While James Conn liked the movie, he found the part challenging to play. And he said, I like to be emotionally available, but this guy is available to nothing. Yeah, I, th- I think that I think that was part of the reason why it works is because Khan's innate softness kind of shines through in places, so it makes him feel more real and human. Like he's trying to be hard, he's trying to be stoic, but his his kind of big beating heart kind of betrays that, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, the vault that Frank breaks into in the opening scene is a real vault. Purchased for $10,000 specifically so that James Conn could break into it using the real tools and techniques supplied by John Santucci. Now, John Santucci played the cop. We didn't mention this before, but John Santucci uh, played uh, Sergeant Urzizi. Mm-hmm. And and that was the one that was really like after him or whatever. I'm, yeah. The one that was, I'm Italian. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, he served as a consultant on the film and he would tell him like exactly all this stuff. Uh, and he even like did to promote the film. He even, you know, did interviews on like Good Morning America and stuff like that. That's really interesting. Um, they're like, oh yeah, tell us about the vault you broke into in the bank back in, you know, back then. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's funny you should ask, Diane. It's funny you should ask. Um, anyway, uh, the uh, Jim Belushi's brother, John, visited the set often. The cast and crew would often hang out at Belushi's Speakeasy, called the Blues Brothers Bar, after work. So that must have been fun. God, that must have been cool. Yeah. yeah. Hang out with John Belushi, like James Caan, yeah. John Belushi, just, Jim Belushi. Just drinking, just drinking, like, whiskey and beers and, like, yeah, hang you know, out. like the rowdy laughter. Yeah. And, like, with some God, that must have been cool awesome. Chicago blues band. You know, yeah. it, 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 I can imagine it's only like the bar scene that you saw where he goes to get Jesse. You know what I mean? It's just yeah, exactly yeah. like that. Uh, the Green Mill Lounge that Frank's owns as one of his cover businesses is an actually real lounge and bar called the Green Mill that is still in operation located in Chicago where the film takes place. I bet you they get a lot of tourists about that. Yeah, they probably get some. They probably don't have a lot. I mean, like, oh, this is where the it's like. It's not like a movie, like it's a, you know, I know this is a, it's kind of an underground kind of, you know, movie. It's really is kind of a cult classic type of movie, though. You know what I yeah. mean? It is. A, I don't know. I, if I go back to Chicago, I'm going to go check it out, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's definitely yeah. on my list. You know, it's like, yeah. I'm going to go back to, uh, you know, Wrigley Field and I'm going to find this place, too. Yeah. At least take a, take a photo for it because it's got that very iconic, like, neon sign. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because you get a lot. I mean, because it shows the outside a couple times and, you know, the inside of it. So, um, so yeah, I would, I would definitely go. Uh, it was originally supposed to have an all-Chicago blues soundtrack, but man uh, went with the 70s electronica group Tangerine Dream. And he, he worked a, lo- a couple other movies that he worked on, I think, also had Tangerine Dream, uh, if, that, if that's correct. Uh, Tangerine Dream has done 20 albums and 60 soundtracks. Yeah, they're, they're they're prolific. Yeah, yeah, they've done the uh, Sorcerer, the Soldier, Risky Business, Flashpoint, The Keep, Firestarter, uh, Legend. Not the movie. I am Legend. The 
other Tom uh, Tom Cruise in a metal skirt, Tim Curry with big horns, legend. Legend. Uh, and, three o'clock high. And, go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say you mentioned the other Michael Mann movies with the Tangerine Dream score. The Keep. That, that's oh, yeah, the that's keep. Michael Mann's unreleased horror film that you can't find anymore. It's been released, but it's been out of print for years. I see. Uh, that has a Tangerine Dream score on it as well. And another movie that we covered on our show, Near Dark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love Tangerine Dream, to be honest with you. They also did uh, Grand Theft Auto Five. Yeah, <laughs> that they did. Yeah, because that was the one in yeah. Europe. Uh, Tangerine Dream is also cited for an influence of the Stranger Things intro. And in 2016, Tangerine Dream released their own version of the iconic theme music. Isn't that weird? So the guys that cr- yeah. the, the, the guys that created the intro music and stuff like that for Stranger Things. They're, Basically ripped off Tangerine Dream. Right. And Tangerine Dream's like, well, well, we'll just cover it. We'll, we'll just do it. It's kind of like our own thing. I think it's so we'll just do that song. They've released their own thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of yeah. neat. Um, it is. And in 2014, like I said, the Criterion Collection was added Thief to its catalog. So that was in 2014 that the Criterion Collection added it. They They digitally restored it from a 4K master of the director's cut. That was approved by Michael Mann with uh, 5.1 DTS, um, and it's known as Spine Number 691. Mm-hmm. Roger Ebert, the criteria. Go ahead. So the Criterion Collection is is quite large now at this point. Yeah. yeah. Are they up to like a thousand already? Uh, the, yeah. They, they, they and, and they hit a thousand. Uh, I think at that. I think the, I think Spine Number Thousand was a big Godzilla box set. Ah. So. Okay. But anyway, you you were about to say. Roger Ebert gave it 3.5 out of 4 stars. Uh, I'm not surprised. Really? No, I mean, because, I mean, you know, you don't always expect people to be like 4 stars, you know, because he had a 4-star scale. We always clarify that. Um, yeah, it wasn't So 4 stars high. was perfect for him. So 3.5 is still very, very high. Right. But you would but you would give it like 5 out of 5, right? Just to be, Yeah, know? I'd give it 5 out of 5. Okay. But I've also, I mean... But Roger also probably didn't rewatch a lot of movies. He probably didn't let me. He probably didn't go back and and pour over these things. And also, he had his own tastes and predilections. I have my own taste and predilections. Yeah. You know, and our tastes don't probably don't match up that closely. Yeah, I, I, it, and 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 it's hard to like judge movies from when they're like first released until That's we true. get some like time and distance. I mean, I know I'm like that with with uh you know albums and stuff like that. Like music that comes out like I'll like an artist and I'll go I'll like uh, oh this is okay, this is fine and then like three or four years later say, like, you know what? That was really crap. I like that, but I'm like no, this is or you go back and go holy I, this movie this I thought was crap when it first came out and I'm like now I'm like holy crap, this is really like their best album. You know, I did that with uh what was that? Um, Evil Vulgarious, like the Queens of the Stone Age. Like, yeah. that that album came out, and I'm like, this is kind of like, I'm kind of, eh. No, it's one, I think it's one of their best albums. Yeah, and because you have to, you have to let things kind of marinate, and you have to kind of be able to place them within the context of, of the time they came out, and that takes time and perspective. Yeah. Uh, Roger Ebert says, this movie works so well for several reasons, one is that Thief is able to convince us that it knows its subject, knows about the method, methods and criminal personalities of its characters. Another is that it's well cast. Every important performance in this movie successfully creates a plausible person instead of the stock company supporting characters we might have expected. So he's basically saying that they the characters have depth, right? They're, they, yeah. yeah. 
But he's, he's saying it in a very kind of beautiful way. Yeah. Uh, Rotten Tomato score, 94%. Critic score, 81. Or no, excuse me. Audience score is 81%. 90, 90, 94 critics. That's pretty high. It is. I think it's one of the highest, you know, critics scores we've seen as we as we've been doing the show. Oh, definitely. Um, I think the only yeah, other yeah. one, the ninety eight, was uh, what broadcast news. I, I, I that sounds right. I don't, I don't keep a list of that stuff in front of me, but that sounds about right. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I I hang out with a bunch of film snob people, and we all love beef. So I mean, I I was just surprised so, how well loved. I was just surprised that I never I'd not heard of it. Um, a lot of people haven't, you know, it's just one of the things where, I mean, it's always been overshadowed by heat, which is kind of, again, the more bombastic version of the story. Yeah. You know, it's bigger. It's got, it's got flashier movie stars. It's got, it's a little more modern. Mm-hmm. That's the one that people kind of like are always point to when they talk about Michael Mann and his like gritty crime realism. Mm. Yeah. But, but, but the real heads, the, the real, the real nerdy people know about thief. Yes. So now you're part of that club. Now you're part of it. Now you're yeah. now you're part of it. Uh, so yeah, now I now I know thief. Kind of like this, you know, the conversation or whatever. You know what I mean? It's kind of exactly, like yeah. you're, you're in the know. You're like in the in the stuff. Like you yeah. know that. You, you've been hip to it, man. Yeah. You're, you're 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 down. <laughs> I I am. Which means where you're completely not hip because you use phrases like that. But anyway, <laughs> if you have to think about anyway. or like consider yeah. that you're hip, then you are not hip. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You just, just got to do your thing, I man. You got to. You guys got to. You just got to vibe. But but now you're. But now you're vibing with heat, or you're vibing with thief. See, I did it myself. But, you're vi- <laughs> but anyway, moving on. Well, I'm sure. I just look forward to whatever next movie that we have come because I I love uh you know getting enlightened by these uh these, these movies like I, I can just see so many. It's the joy of it, man. Yeah, I can just see so many other movies. Oh, we got to get to our. Our thing, we got to do our. We got a couple. Yeah, we got a couple more couple segments, more segments we, we, before we end it. We got. We got to be professionals about this. Man. We got to. We got to be professionals. <laughs> I'm uh, about to wrap it up. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let me say this. So Ryan, we yeah, well, as we always kind of end the show with with this thought because uh, we talked about this being a trip through the virtual video store of yesteryear. Mm-hmm. If you were to have rented these two movies as part of a uh, as a thief like double feature thing, like you were going to take them home, watch them over the weekend. Would you get them back on time and save those late fees, or would you keep them an extra day and enjoy them and watch them again? Uh, I tell you what, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna return Thief of Hearts, but I'm gonna go buy the soundtrack, and then I'm gonna, I you know, and I originally thought that I was going to, uh, you know, return Thief, but the more I think about it, the more I want to, you know, because the last 20 minutes are like so hard to watch. Uh, but now sitting it and letting it marinate, I I might you know want to keep and pay the extra late fees. Well, and if you want to watch it, it's currently available to stream pretty easily. It's a you know you can go and get the Criterion Criterion Collection disc. I I recommend doing either. Uh, I would agree with you. I think the I think the soundtrack for Thief of Hearts is great. I think if you see it, you won't regret seeing it. But it's not anything you're going to want to want to revisit. Yeah. But uh, but I think that uh, Thief. To me, Thief is an. To me, it's like to, to, for me, me personally, it's an all timer. I've got the Criterion disc. I will talk about Thief with anyone who will let me talk about Thief to them. Mm-hmm. So I love it, and I, I would steal the copy from the video store and keep it for myself. I got they you. would never get it back. I got you. So, uh, do you have any <laughs> recommendations as as we wrap up? Anything you'd want? If you wanted to add a third movie to this to this triple feature, um, 
you know, I, I thought about this uh, a little bit and I thought about like what, you know, and I, I kind of had uh, one movie in mind. I kind of had, um, um, you know, uh, Reservoir Dogs in mind because a lot of the scenes kind of reminded me, uh, you know, of that, of, you know, it's, it, I mean, it even, that movie even starts inside a coffee shop, right? Uh, yeah. And, you know, I mentioned Pulp Fiction, but I think that, you know, one that I think would go really good with because there is this, like, love story connection and this lo- this story about, you know, getting out and breaking the cycle and um, is uh, true romance. I mean, I, and I think that would, like, kind of tie in together uh, because that also has this, like, awesome, crazy shootout at the end as well. And, and yeah. um I, I think that would would match well, even though that it was you know written by Tarantino and and kind of like directed and uh, taken through by Tony Scott. I, you know, it kind of has elements uh, you know all throughout of of, of both kind of movies. I think. Yeah, I, th- I mean, yeah, I think that if I can't see someone who likes Thief not at least appreciating true romance, and I of course love true romance for a variety of reasons. Yes. So I will never take issue with anyone <laughs> recommending true romance. Yeah. Uh, I think for it's me, a, I, I would, think it's a must see for any Tarantino fan. Be quite honest. Uh, yeah, it, it's uh, to me it's an it's one of those that I would call fundamental to who I am as a movie watcher. Yeah, um, I love it to death. Yeah. Um, but from for me, I, I'm going to choose another Michael Mann film. I'm going to choose. I'm going to say Collateral. Okay. Which stars Jamie Fox and Tom Cruise. Uh, it's because uh, it's got it's got the same kind of a life kind of pulsing night knife night. Vibe like the city is alive at night. Yeah, like it's beautifully shot. Um, the, the 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 professional aspect of it is kind of uh, covered by Tom Cruise's character. Oh yeah, but the wanting more into wanting to escape is personified by Jamie Foxx's character, and the movie really hums and it's got a great energy to it. And it's got to me, it's got one of the best Tom Cruise performances. Yes, and if you like the if you like the vibe of Thief, if you like the vibe of Heat. I can't. I cannot see you not enjoying, not vibing with Collateral. I think it's a great. Movie. I think I saw Collateral once when a friend of mine like rented it, and it was one of those things where he started watching the movie, and then I'm like coming out like, "Oh, what are you watching?" And then I just got like sucked in by it, and I, it's, it, it's, it's so, so it's and it's so insane, and it is so good. And uh, but yeah, I just remember watching that that one time. Uh, and not really, and, and like I said, I probably started like 15 minutes into it, but it's, yeah, it's an amazing film and, uh, God, I need to watch that movie again, to be quite honest. Yeah, I really I, do. I definitely recommend you go back and rewatch that one again. Well, I'll, I'll find out where, where, where you can watch it on streaming. Yeah. I definitely recommend that you go back and watch it specifically because I think you'll love it. Okay. Yeah. That's definitely, I need to, yeah, watch it for real. Cause I remember those scenes, some of those scenes that they shot in downtown LA, uh, very iconic, you know, like look yeah. and cinematography to them. I really, really dug some of those scenes. Yeah. Again, goes back to no one shoots a city like Michael Mann. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, he makes you want to be in like an urban environment, just being kind of like driving or walking through it, just kind of enveloped by like concrete and steel. Yeah. One of the, uh, and like, and like neon. One of the, uh, notes that I had was, um, uh, that I didn't mention was there was a, like a water truck, like 60,000 gallon like water truck that would, you know, when they would do scenes, it would, you know, spray down the streets or whatever. Yeah. And that was like a big thing. That was like a, that was like a trope of like guys in the, the eighties or nineties. Oh, you want to shoot an ice scene? Oh, just like wet the streets. 
You know, it's just like, yeah, yeah, but you can't just like wet the streets and like make it. And it's just one part of it. You know what I mean? But like all yeah. of the TV commercials for cars and all that kind of stuff, like they all use all of that stuff too. Yeah, but no one, no one did it as well. And the reason why they did it is because of man. I think man photographs that so beautifully. Like he, he just. No one knows how to capture a city that's vibrant better than him. But so yeah, collateral. Watch it; it's good. Right. True romance is good. Watch it. Thief, it's good. Watch it. Yeah. And I think that about does it for us. You know, I'm, I think the heat's coming around the corner, and we're about out of time, my friend. <laughs> All right. Well, well, maybe maybe next time we'll do something a little more uh, fun. And Danny, I don't know what we have in store, but uh, maybe, yeah, maybe we'll let's just try to, let's try to find something with some laughs in it. Yeah, yeah. a little, little lighter fare. So uh, we will catch you next time. I'm your host, Ryan Acre, and I'm Matthew Estri. Go watch some movies, guys, and stay out of trouble. Thanks for checking out this episode of Video Culture. You can check us out on Twitter at Video Culture 2. That's the number two for two guys talking about movies like Ryan and myself. And you can also check us out on Facebook. Just search for Video Culture Podcast. Also, be sure to stop by our our official website, video-culture.com. There we have the entire show archives, as well as articles about film. Yeah, so check us out. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, come hang out with us, talk movies. Did you like the show? Do you hate the show? Do you like or hate the movies we talked about? Let us know. Come chat with us, and let's all watch movies together. Two, three scores a month. You want to put down contract scores all over the country? Working directly for me? I am self-employed. Geisty lice. Just diamonds or cash. Fine. I'll make you a millionaire in four months. I wear $150 slacks. I wear silk shirts. I wear $800 suits. I wear a gold watch. I wear a perfect D flawless three carat ring. I'm a thief. Do you think that I have been waiting for you to come along? You gonna marry her and have some kids? Yes. Hey, I'm talking to you. Hey. Hey, what? What is going on in your life that is so terrific? I'm just, I'm just asking you to be with me. Go. We got a problem. I want my money. We're your new partners. We're in for 10 points. I am the last guy you want to mess with. You get paid what I say. You do what I say. You don't know from one day to the next whether you're going to be killed, go home, or get busted. What's wrong with you? James Caan, Thief.